We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're just saying that he's off to a nice start. Why does it have to be all or nothing all the time? Like, what am I doing? I'm doing it for the show. Field of 68 till I die. This is the Field of 68 After Dark Show, the only place that you need to be for college hoops every single night. And we are live. Welcome to the Tuesday evening edition of the Field of 68 After Dark here on Sirius XM Channel 84. That is the ESPNU station. We are live on YouTube. We are live on Twitter. Please hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button. All of those things really do help us. My name is Rob Dosser. We are presented by our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. I'm joined tonight by a couple of legends in the game, former Arizona head coach Sean Miller <laughs> and the man that holds the record for the best free throw percentage defense of any coach in college basketball history. None other. History. That's right. You've, I'm glad to hear you tout that for him. It, think about it. It is an amazing stat, isn't it? Yeah. Teams like has the, shot the worst percentage against arch coach teams of, of any, of any single coach that's ever coached college basketball. Like Ken Palm shook his head on that. I mean, that's uh, that's, I mean, that's quite a thing. Arch, is there a secret? Like, honestly, do you, is there anything you attribute that to? Yeah. Spending all my time talking about trying to make free throws and our team doing a great job practicing free throws and shooting the worst percentage ourselves during games has kind of, I think, balanced it out. Yeah. We just spend so much time trying to make them. The other team probably just feels they need to miss them to balance it out or something. Heck of a thing. Well, listen, we have we have a ton to get into tonight. Uh, we're watching this Purdue, Illinois game and Villanova and St. John's are coming down to the wire. Um, I'm going to have to hit these guys on Wisconsin going into Michigan State and knocking off the Spartans in the Breslin Center. And of course, I'm going to talk to you about my Huskies. They got a little bit of a bounce back win tonight. But before we do any of that, number one, Auburn went into Fayetteville and took themselves a loss in overtime tonight. We're going to be joined by Arkansas head coach Eric Musselman here in just a minute. Uh, but before we get to that, Sean, I'm going to hit you first on this one, man. What was your biggest takeaway uh, from Arkansas's win? Not to take anything away from, uh, from Arkansas. You know, when you're the number one team in America and you think about some of the recent games Auburn have, has played, Rob, and it seems like they've almost played them in a row. You know, as evidenced by how Georgia took them to the wire uh, most recently, you know, it can beat you down. They, to me, they just look physically just almost like they need to take a deep breath. Maybe this loss can kind of take a little bit of the pressure off. 
and can kind of get back to some things maybe that they were doing better earlier. In particular, I didn't think Auburn tonight was as good as they've been sharing the ball, you know, moving it, making the one more pass. And uh, there were just so many possessions there towards the end of the game that that ended up doing them in, not because uh, Arkansas isn't an outstanding defensive team, but it almost, hey, look, when you play against a team that is like that defensively, you really better be on it and moving the ball. And tonight, I didn't think they were at their best. Yeah, Arch, how much of that was a result of what Arkansas was doing defensively and how much of that was just, you know, Wendell Green sometimes becomes a little bit shot happy. Well, you have to give Arkansas's defense a lot of credit. You know, one of the reasons that they've caught fire and have won nine in a row, I believe, their defense has really turned the corner and started to become one of the best in the country. And, you know, really, to be honest with you, probably right now, maybe the best in SEC play. And uh, they took Alabama out of a lot of their stuff. There was a lot of pressure out there and uh, resulted in, you know, Auburn playing with eight assists, 19 turnovers. And, you know, Wendell Green has to play 38 minutes without Jasper tonight. And he has seven turnovers as a point guard on the road in that environment and uh, multiple guys though, for, for Auburn turned the ball over eight assists, 19 turnovers on the road in that environment. But I think you have to give Arkansas a lot of credit because um, their winning streak and what they're doing really starts right now. They, the mindset defensively to, you know, take you out of what you're doing and the quickness on the floor. And uh, they've done a great job. Right. And, you know, back to my point and really I should have started with it. You know, missing their point guard, Auburn, I mean, you've, you felt that a little bit too. If you think about kind of what, what we talked about, the ball got stuck, it didn't move. And, and at times I thought that they, they didn't get the ball to, to Jabari when they usually do. You know, you start taking the, that head of the snake away from your team, the guy that, that you count on to do it, who has a big role in that area of playmaking. Um, it can certainly affect that, but... Uh, you know, that and Kessler, by the way, if Auburn would have won, what a great game. I mean, his free throw shooting hurt Auburn. You know, he went to the line, I think, missed four in a row. But if you look at his blocks, rebounds, and points in that game, it 16, shows you how talented. 16, 16, 19, and seven blocks. Yeah, you, it shows you how talented he yeah. is. He is a difference maker. And I think that's one reason why we're looking at Auburn as the number one team in the country because they have so, so much athleticism and so many things already going for them to put that seven foot shot blocker in the middle, Rob, you know, now that takes them to a completely another level. Yeah. I, I can't remember if it was you guys that, that was talking about this. I think it might've been you arch, but Walker Kessler at some point has to get some buzz for the, uh, for, for national player of the year or for national defensive player in the year, but definitely work. Yeah, we're, we're about to be joined here by Eric Musselman, but, but go ahead and finish your point on. on Definitely that. national defensive player of the year, SEC defensive player of the year. Um, Auburn's defense is based around him, his shot blocking and conference play and their team's, you know, ability to force things to him. But what he's done defensively for Auburn and him individually, how he dictates things in games. To me, he has to be a guy that's considered, you know, if not the national defensive player of the year, one of them, and definitely in the SEC, he's he's got to get that nod, I would think, as of today. Yeah, so we're, we're going to be joined here in a minute by Eric Musselman, the Arkansas head coach. They are coming off of an 80-76 to 76 win uh, in Fayetteville over number one, uh, Auburn, and uh, they're improved to 19-5 and five on the season, the huge win 
uh, for the Razorbacks. I believe that is now eight consecutive wins for them. They've really kind of been able to turn this thing around. Uh, yeah. And I think, and we are, we are joined by, uh, by coach Musselman here. Coach what's going on. And Rob Doster, Archie Miller, Sean Miller, how you doing? Congrats. I'm on the doing win. good. Appreciate you guys having me on. So I, I got to ask you, man, you guys have hit a winning streak again at the right time in the season. Uh, what's, what's changed? How'd you figure it out this year? Well, you know, I think uh, for us, we, we weren't defending like we, you know, are capable of or, or what we've defended in the past. And we, we changed our starting lineup. We went with a bigger lineup, a, a stronger lineup. A DC Tony was actually playing the small forward slash power forward for us. And we slid him to the starting off guard. And then we inserted Trey Wade into the starting lineup, a transfer from Wichita State at the four spot. And then we slid uh, Stanley Amudi, who was playing the power forward, to the small forward. So we actually, you know, most teams downsize. We actually went with the biggest lineup that we possibly could. Hey, Coach Moss, it's uh, it's Sean. How you doing? I'm doing great, Coach Miller. How are you? Hey, when the... I got to ask you, when they called the Hogs tonight with that crowd, you got you to gotta admit, even you who's used to it, it almost felt scary on TV. Did you get that sense? <laughs> well, I, I, you know, there's only so many uh, arenas that can get that loud. And, and um, you know, I'm 57 years old, Coach Miller, and, and, and that was the, you know, loudest building that I've ever been a part of. Um, it, it was it, it, it really yeah. was. I mean, it was and, and the building was shaking before the game. We were back in the locker room and our locker room is, is very close to the student section. And it was literally shaking uh, right before we went out with about two minutes prior to tip off. Yeah, no, it was you could just so you know, you could really feel it on TV. You know, sometimes when you watch that game on television, it looks like a big crowd, but you really can't tell. Tonight, watching the Arkansas-Auburn game, you almost felt like you were at the game. And then when I saw them call the Hogs and, and I heard the crowd, it was it was an eerie, eerie call. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have one basketball question for you, all right? I watch you play a lot and big fan of you as a coach and how you guys defend. But, you know, you've emerged now. You're the number one defensive team in the SEC. And uh, this year, to say that this year is quite a statement when you look around your league and some of the great defensive teams that you're with. And yet, you know, when you're coaching your team, three-point shooting obviously is your, your Achilles or, or to this point is the thing that's probably you wish you could make more of them or how can we generate more of them. But when you're coaching your guys, just knowing that you're the number one defensive team and you're like, how do I generate points? How do I become more efficient offensively? What is it that like right now, that, that you, you're conveying to your team and, and that you do maybe perhaps a little bit more or less in practice right now? Yeah, I think from a defensive standpoint, Coach, we just, you know, we became so much bigger. And sometimes we do give up some threes because, you know, we're a little bit uh, laterally challenged from a quickness standpoint at certain positions when teams downsize. But offensively, we just got to continue to move the basketball a little bit more at times. And it's my fault. You know, I, I'm, I'm so used to the NBA game and we have so many sets that are quick hitters or isolations uh, that at times we get to standing around too much. And, and th those are some of the things behind closed doors that we try and to continue to improve on from an offensive standpoint. Yeah. Coach Musk, this is Arch. Congratulations on the big win and, also, how, how you guys are playing right now. There's nobody playing better. 
um, not only in the SEC, but the country. So congrats on that. And um, I just want to ask you how your shoulder's doing. And as long <laughs> as you keep winning, regardless of how your shoulder feels, are you going to keep that strap and that brace on all year? <laughs> well, thanks, Coach Miller. We, you know, I had rotator cuff surgery and I'm, I'm three weeks in. Um, and we haven't lost since we, I actually, we right. actually beat, we beat Missouri the game before the surgery. Um, and so I got three more weeks. I hope we could keep winning. I got three more weeks of, of being in the sling and then the rehab starts. And the, the greatest thing is, you, you know, you can't sleep after, after a loss. Well, I, I haven't slept very much just cause I'm in a recliner. So, uh, it's certainly good to not sleep after wins instead of the L's. No question. And from, a, from, from your team's perspective, I think the, the, the nation should have been put on notice uh, tonight about JT Note and he's what good. He's, how good he is, what he means to your team. But just talk a little bit about him and, and where he's at and what he means to what you're doing right now. Yeah, I think, Coach Miller, the, the thing with JD Note is he's improved so much. He was, a, he was a good player from Jacksonville. He got an opportunity to sit out. He was a high volume scorer at a, at a lower uh, level. And so we've really tried to work with him from a player development standpoint to become more of a point guard. And he's still learning. He's still, he's still on the job learning how to be a, a, a ball distributor. But from a scoring standpoint and an isolation standpoint, he's as good as any guard in the country one on one. For instance, last year when we were in, in the Elite Eight, he was the one guy that could go get his own shot against that great Baylor defensive team. So, And J.D.'s a much, much, much underrated defender. He's one of the highest steel players uh, in the SEC. He always guards uh, one of the top perimeter two players on the opposing team and uh, a really, really great competitor, and, he, and he's got great toughness as well. He must. Uh, the one thing I just say, too, like I thought tonight what you just said – he he really wore down at times Wendell Green. Like, and you just the guy he was on. And, you know, I thought his size and physicality on defense had a wearing down effect on Auburn. You know, when you guys got to late in the game and then overtime, you had more gas in your tank than they did. That's what it appeared. And, and I credit a lot of that to your ball pressure. No, I, I, we really appreciate that, Coach Miller, because – you know, oftentimes some of the things that, that people will say is we have such a short rotation, we're going to run out of gas. And and we feel exactly like you just mentioned, that that we are a physical team, that, that we spend so much time in the offseason trying to be in great physical condition so that we only have to play seven or eight guys. Um, and we feel like a guy like J.D. Note, even though if he gets tired, um, that he can try to wear the other opposing guards off because he does have great physicality. He's got great strength, um, you know, and, and his ability uh, to pick the ball up full court certainly can wear people down throughout the course of a 40-minute game or like tonight, even a 45-minute game. Yeah. Well, listen, Mus, I appreciate the time uh, that you're giving us. I, I want to let you go celebrate, but I do need one favor from you. Do you think you can help me out with something? I can help you out, Rob. What is it, man? <laughs> all right. So Jeff Goodman is listening right now, and he he's doubted the Hogs all season long. I, I just want to know if you have any messages for Jeff Goodman. No, it's all good. We we've uh, you know, we were you know hyped up early in the year. Uh, we were trying to figure out our rotations. Uh, we we think we figured it out. We still have a really 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 hard schedule to end the year, uh, but certainly just as last year, we hit stride at the right time. 
Um, we, we know that at some point the streak's you know, going to end. We just want to try to continue to play as good as we can and continue to try to improve and get ready for SEC tournament play. That's a much more diplomatic answer than your fans on Twitter right now. Coach Muss, <laughs> I appreciate the time, man. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. It's great catching up. Hey, keep, yeah, yeah. keep it keep it going, keep going. Coach. Good, good win. Be well. Thanks, coaches. Appreciate it. All right, so we, uh, we have to head to a break here really quick, but coming up next, we're going to talk a little Big Ten basketball with the Miller brothers. Clear for 90. All right, gentlemen. That was fun. That was fun. I want to ask you guys something real quick. We got about 90 seconds here. Um, how, and it might actually be something that, that we need to wait until after the, the break is done for. But I want to know, like, so Coach K last night had trouble getting the ball to Paolo in the second half. I think he had one shot, and that was the shot that he got after the full court pass with one second left. Uh, tonight, I think Bruce Pearl had a little bit of trouble getting the ball to Jabari Smith in the moments that he needed it. So um, how, how do you fix that as a coach? Like what, how do you, how would, do you, where, where do you go from there? I just, I just know this sometimes when your best player, is a, front, a front court player um, and you have to get them the ball, especially on the road. And especially when the pressure is up, it can become very hard. You know, you, you have to call a play for him. Uh, you have to be able to get him the ball in his spots. And sometimes the pressure is so high. The environment is so hard that you're at the mercy of your guard play at times when you're dealing with a big guy. And I think that could have been part of the problem tonight for Jabari, when you have to get a guy, the ball in isolation or off of a play, 30 seconds made that very difficult. Um, But you have to have your bread and butter looks and you have to be able to run them against the best defenses. And when you call them 20, I think everybody on a team has to know he's got to get the ball. That would be the thing. Right. Perfect. Sean, I'm going to, I'm going to hit send that to you as soon as we come back from the break here. Um, on the other 10 side. seconds must was, was good that was fun mm-hmm. you guys have some good questions there it's i was gonna, I was gonna ask him if he like had a, i was gonna ask coach <laughs> must if he had the clicker in his pocket that when they dunked at the buzzer did he hit the lights and the fireworks <laughs> at the same time because that was incredible that the lights went out on that dunk hey that call to the hogs is powerful yeah you should you mean, should see it live i've been down there twice man that's yeah a, and we are back. This is the field of 68 after dark. We are live on Sirius XM channel 84. That is the ESPN U station. We're streaming live over on Twitter. We're streaming on YouTube. Please jump in the chat. Ask us some questions. We're going to be asking those questions during breaks. Uh, and I asked Archie one of them during our last commercial break. Sean, I'm going to put it to you as well. <clears throat> Look, when, when so, your best players are forward, right? Like Paulo and Jabari. And what, what is the other common thread between both of them? Jeff is Jeff Rob. Uh, they're both, they're both freshmen, man. I mean, as much as we try to make both guys superheroes and they're unbelievably talented, you know, they haven't been in that situation nearly as much as maybe the audience thinks they have. So some of it is them, but in both cases, it's, it's the point guard, you know, like Arch said, that player, he's not going to have the ball at half court using a middle ball screen or, or usually a clear out. You have to get him the ball to on a spot. And that's going to require a point guard to have the know-how, the ability to not crumble under pressure and be able to get the ball to your go-to player. And if you look at Auburn today playing without their starter and what we talked about, and even Duke, you know, I think who has some great guards, but maybe more combo in their thinking, you could see late in games, it's not as easy maybe as those two teams could have anticipated it being uh, at the beginning of the year. But I would say that in both cases, 
they'll continue to get better at that. And I, I, especially in Auburn's case, he's so efficient that it, uh, I just have a hard time believing that in future close games, he won't have the ball. Yeah. So we had, we had two stars that had trouble getting the ball uh, in the last couple of games, but tonight one star that did not have any issue getting his shots up. Jaden Ivey finished with 26 points, six assists and four boards as Purdue rolled over Illinois, 84 to 68. They outscored him by 20 points in the second half. Uh, and we now have a three-way tie at the top of the Big Ten. So, Arch, I know you're the Big Ten guy on this show. Uh, talk to me a little bit about Purdue. How impressed were you with this, with this, this performance tonight? Very impressed. I'm not surprised, though. It's late in the year. The Big Ten race is on. And when you go into Mackey right now, you're, you're dealing with all the elements. As good as Bud Walton was tonight, Mackey was equally as hard to play in. And one thing about Purdue, um, they always get better at their weaknesses as the season goes along. And tonight, playing against a really good Illinois team, they defended. You know, they held them to 41% from the floor, 30% from three. And uh, Trent Frazier goes one for seven. And um, if you look at their line across the board, um, even Plummer, who, who, who was a little bit better, was the only other double-figure score in the game other than Curbelo. They had three guys. But I thought Purdue did a great job defensively. And Jaden Ivey rose to the occasion tonight. He got 26. Yes. He was dominant in the second half. And to me, the Big Ten championship, I've been saying it, I think it'll continue to go through Purdue because of that home court advantage that they have. Yeah. So, um, Sean, we, we did some film studies earlier this season on the Next Play podcast, the podcast that you guys host on Jaden Ivey. What, what makes him so special as a player? Why is he so difficult to guard? Well, Rob, Arch put that together. And, you know, the point that he made throughout uh, the podcast when we were going over Purdue is just how important Jaden Ivey is in, in two critical areas for Purdue, in transition and at the end of the clock. And if you think about as we move closer and closer to March, how important those areas are, because in transition, it's the team who gets the most easy baskets has the best chance of winning the game. And in sometimes Jaden Ivey, he's like a one man fast break. I mean, uh, and Arch talked about it, whether it's him catching an outlet, him getting his own rebound. Sometimes Rob, it's his teammates finding him up the sideline, you know, very seldom does he even use a ball screen. He's just coming at you kind of like Russell Westbrook and he gets fouled. He scores, he finds his teammates. And that's an element that, that I think even with Matt and Purdue's best teams that I haven't always had, he gives them something that's unique and different. And then the last part, and you saw it in a little bit tonight's game against Illinois pressure, they just gave him the ball in the middle of the floor and allowed him to attack, to score, make his teammates better. And, when they're going, like we talked about earlier with Auburn and Duke, when you at the end of the game in crunch time, which guy on that on your team can get fouled, score, make good decisions against any defense? And I think Jaden Ivey, is there anybody better in college basketball at, th at that role right there? And you couple that with those big guys, how Matt Painter coaches offense in the structured part of it. And that's why they're America's best offensive team. No question. If you look at their numbers tonight, fellas, shot 51% against the Big Ten's best defense, shot 41% from three and only turned it over nine times, scored 84 points against Illinois. That's, that's incredible in terms of the way their team played. Their team played a high 
level game tonight. And uh, this should put them right there at the top of the league and uh, still chasing Illinois a little bit and Wisconsin. But to me, they're the team to beat. You know, Rob, yeah. I, I would bring this up. We had, we had Ken Palm on the podcast and, you know, sometimes he, he, he creates these emotional debates on, ah, the, you know, you're relying too much on them, not enough. Mm -hmm. This is wrong. This is right. But his numbers don't lie. I mean, they, they've checked out over a decade. Right. But you know, the one thing that he can, said, can you tell really Jeff Goodman that? Can you What's that? make sure, can you make sure that Jeff Goodman knows that? I hope he's listening. You hear yeah, that, we, Jeff? we won't even count his, his, <laughs> he's big. Goodman's all emotion. Ken Palm is all fact-based science. Big difference, right? <laughs> yes. But but he said this, and you know, it really resonated with me. Great offense in the NCAA tournament historically over time beats great defense. And you know, Arch, you said it early on. Purdue's, you know, you get caught up in those two big guys, Jade and Ivy. How about their overall team's three-point shooting? Yeah, I mean. They've been in and around 40% or even higher for a period of time. And they play, they're playing a tough schedule. They're in the Big Ten. They're on the road. It's February. The third in the country. Rob, think about how, how bad of a night they'd have to have, right, in March to not be good on offense. I mean, think about all the different things they have going for them, which, you know, when you're 40-plus percent from three-point, how about if they got hot over a two-week period of time? And I think that's what's so exciting about following Purdue. Yeah, I'll, I'll hit you guys with this then. Um, so I, I actually ran the numbers on this once a couple of years ago. And the team that had the lowest Ken Palm defensive rating to win the national title in the Ken Palm era, which dates back to 2001, was North Carolina in 2009, the year that they had Tyler Hansborough. And I think that was the Ty Lawson team and Wayne Ellington and all those guys. They were 39th in defensive efficiency heading into the tournament, not after right. the tournament, right. heading into the tournament. Duke in 2015 was 37th. Purdue right now is 111th before tonight. It's going to go up tonight because they were terrific defensively mm -hmm. in the second half. So I'll, I'll pose it to you guys like this. You don't have to be a great defensive team to win, but is Purdue a good enough defensive team to they go are. out and win six games in March? You think so? They are. They have the, they have the coach. They have the fabric in terms of how they prepare. It's not like you watch them play in one game. They look one way, another game, they look another. They're built a certain way. You know, you're playing with two really big players for 40 minutes at one position at the five. You deal with a lot of pick and pop fives at times or space teams. And I don't believe that their best defenders are always on the floor in the perimeter because they're valuing that 41% three-point shooting around those big guys each game. They need that spacing. But a guy like Eric Hunter is playing a lot more right now coming down the stretch. They need his, yep. they need his defense. And I think that Mason Gillis, and you saw Caleb first play a lot more tonight, a bigger body at the four. Um, so I think the way that they're built as a program, how they prepare, um, they're going to, I wouldn't be surprised if their stretch run in the next three weeks, that 106 doesn't become like 74 or 72. And they start to get into the Big Ten tournament and it turns into the 60s. It could be something like that where Purdue starts to value that end a lot more as they're coming down the home stretch and they grow on that end, which would be scary a little bit for them because of how good they are on offense. Mm -hmm. I would say if they fail, though, the reason they'll fail is they'll be unable to get key stops against that team, whoever that team is, and their defense will end up doing them in. I don't see a scenario where any team you pick it can hold them hold them down offensively they just 
they're too efficient. They can do it too many different ways. Yep. All right. So I do want to ask you guys about the other game, the, the other big game that happened in the Big Ten tonight. That was Wisconsin going into the Breslin Center and leading throughout the entire game from buzzer to buzzer. Uh, Johnny Davis had 25 points on eight for 11 shooting. Um, and Wisconsin is out. They're, they're, they're not the same level of hype as Illinois or Purdue or some of these other teams in the league. But right now, they're tied for first place in that conference. Arch, I'll go to you first on this one. Um, well, how, how, good is Big Ten, uh, how good is Wisconsin? And, and can you trust them to make a run in March when they're kind of built around one guy? You know, I, I think you can trust Wisconsin a little bit. The same thing I said about Purdue, the way that they approach things, the way they practice every day and how they prepare, they're always going to be just a miserable game to play in on both ends of the floor. Now they may not shoot it well or have the firepower across the board to score consistently a lot, but defensively, they're always going to be tough minded. And, and to me, Purdue's probably more disrespected this season than Providence. As much as Providence is getting a lot of credit, rightfully so, to be 20 and two, Wisconsin is right there at 19 and four, 10 and three. They have eight quad one wins, and uh, they have an All American on their team in Johnny Davis. And to me, when you look at Wisconsin, the one thing when they're like really good, they have that third guy is Tyler Wall. Mm -hmm. If you watch Wisconsin, and you watch when they're able to get big wins like this or Purdue or in Maui when they want it, Tyler Wall becomes like the third double-figure scorer. He's sort of like a mismatch forward. He's a junior now. He's very physical, and he can post guys and get baskets. And I thought tonight that Tyler Wall being able to get double figures was a good step. But if he plays well, Wisconsin's usually going to be very difficult to beat. But I mean, right now, Wisconsin, they can make an argument they're a two-seed with their resume, and I don't think a lot of people um, are valuing their body of work as much, and maybe they're not as sexy as some, but they're 10-3 and three in the Big Ten with road wins at Michigan State, road win at Purdue, and uh, they may have the best player on the floor on any given night, depending on how Johnny Davis plays. He had 25 again tonight on the road, so Wisconsin's done a great job, and Greg Gard in October told me I think we're going to surprise some people. We're a lot more talented than people think. And uh, he was right. You forget yeah, they won the, the Maui tournament. You know, Maui did. this year wasn't wasn't in Maui. So it's I think sometimes it all runs together for everybody. But pretty good field. You know, Houston was at full speed back then. You know, don't underestimate St. Mary's, Houston. You know, Arch was actually there watching. And, uh, you know, you win that. And I, you think about how Johnny Davis played in, in those games. Um, they oftentimes will have the best player on the court. And when you have the best player that's on the court, it favors you in, in so many ways, especially when you do some other things well. Is Frank Kaminsky still there or did he graduate? Do you know if Kaminsky <laughs> still – is he still at Wisconsin at this point? I, I honestly didn't know we were allowed to say that name when you were on the show. I thought that that name was banned from, from I tell you uh, what, he, never have I seen a college player be at one school for what seemed like <laughs> seven years of efficiency. I mean, he kicked ass when he walked in and he never left. Like he just stayed there, you know? Yeah. What a fun great fact, college player. Did, did you know that, uh, that Frank Kaminsky and Brad Davison were actually in the same recruiting class? Makes sense. <laughs> it does make sense. He's another one, right? I mean, just a couple of those guys at Wisconsin. You have to like check the the NCAA rules there. They're there. They've been there for like six or seven years. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, we got to head to a quick break here. Coming up next, I'm going to make the Millers talk about UConn.
<laughs> Clear for 90. That was good, guys. That was good. That was good. Dagan, do we have any good questions in the chat right now? Uh, let me take a look. There were a few about the earlier game. Um, obviously, Kentucky, we can save this for later. We can save the bigger conversation for later. But if Kentucky... Well, why, Auburn, why, don't, why, don't I, why don't I hit them on it right now? All right, yeah. guys, you got 30 seconds each. Yeah. Uh, who is the better team right now, Kentucky or Auburn, and why? I'll go with, I'll go with Kentucky. I think Kentucky's playing. Even I just go back to the Kentucky-Auburn game and how that game turned out. Uh, they had injuries in that game, but I thought they controlled a good portion and since that game, their win at Kansas and what they've been able to do, um, they're really impressive. I think Kentucky, not only the best team in the SEC, but I think they're playing right now for a one seed. I agree. Kentucky in the SEC right now, Kentucky's the second best offensive team, but also the second best defensive team. They're, they're, they're great in both sides of the ball. They have a true identity with those two point guards and Oscar. And I think the experience through transfer 30 seconds has made them even more dangerous than they've recently been. They just, they have talent plus experience. And they have guys that are buying in to their roles. Like they, they, got, great guys they got great roles, great role yeah. definition on their team. I, real quick, before we come back from break, I got the answer on, on this 1963 was the last time that Wisconsin won 10 seconds. Lansing and in West Lafayette in the same season. And that was before Five. those buildings were actually built. Yeah. Two. One. We're back. This is the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Dawson. We are live now on Sirius XM Channel 84. That is the ESPNU station. We're on YouTube. We're on Twitter. We are streaming. If you are watching there, please jump in the chat. Ask us questions. Hit that like button. I have Archie Miller and Sean Miller here with me. And Archie, we were texting before the Marquette-UConn game started. And I said, I think UConn's going to lose by 25. I think they're going to lose by 30. I don't feel confident about this at all. And you were like, don't worry about it, man. Don't worry. They're going to win. They got this covered. They're going to win by double digits. It wasn't quite double digits, but they won 80 to 72. And it was, uh, it was comfortable. It wasn't stressful. So what'd you see out of the Huskies tonight? They played a, They played a UConn game. You know, they defended. And most importantly, they really, really dominated the glass. You know, they were plus... I think, uh, what were they, plus 19 on the glass in the game. And Sonogo gets 15 rebounds, and Martin gets another 15 rebounds. I mean, if you out-rebound a team at home by 19, that's a dominant performance in terms of physicality. But they defended, and um, Marquette, Marquette's resilient. They have some tough-minded guys, and they made it tough. But UConn swept them this year, and uh, UConn won today, tonight, by playing UConn basketball. They defended. They really, really hammered the boards. They got 24 from the big fella inside. And to me, that's their recipe. It may not be what everybody wants every night, but if they do that, they're going to be successful. Yeah, Sean, we've talked about it on the show before that UConn needs to be able to run their stuff to be effective. Like when they're running their sets, when they're able to get offense out of the actions that Dan Hurley wants to coach, they're really effective. And they were able to do that well tonight. I mean, Rob, again, the numbers to me mean more in February. I mean, March is the only other month that you can say they mean the, the most. But at that point, see, you're in tournament play. February right now, we have a lot of information on all teams, including, you know, the team that we're talking about, UConn. But they're the number one offensive rebounding team in the Big East. They're the number two overall offensive team in the Big East. 
So as much as, you know, sometimes we talked about it, like you said last week, you know, could they have better spacing or whatever? Those guys are wired to crash the glass and beat you up. Arch said it tonight. They out-rebound Marquette by 15. It's that identity thing. What do you think about when you think about Connecticut? And what is it that they bring to the table game in, game out? If they rebound at their best ability, they'll have a chance to beat any team they're playing. They may not, right? They have to do other things. But they're so good at getting second shots and rebounding the ball that it's uh, it's a big reason why they are who they are. And I think on Friday, they go to Xavier, which I think will be a huge game for both teams. You know, Xavier tomorrow, Wednesday, plays at Seton Hall, which is tough. And then they have a quick turnaround. And now they're going to meet UConn coming off a big win against Marquette. These are those games right now, Rob. Man, they're determining your fate. I mean, who wins, who loses? There's huge trajectory swings towards March Madness. And you feel it as a coach. You feel it with your team. And I think that what you always try to reinforce is what Dan, Danny Hurley did a great job tonight. Do what we do. What is it that makes us good? Got to kill them on the glass. And they did that tonight against Marquette. Yeah, one thing about UConn, Rob, coming up here in these next couple of weeks, be really interested to see if Jordan Hawkins can keep going. Yes. He's such a talented young guy that sometimes at this time of year, those freshmen, they, they're at their best. Their confidence is up. And I thought him tonight playing 15 minutes or whatever it may have been, bangs a shot or two, two threes in the game, more perimeter shooting, more scoring off of their bench other than just their big two or three guys. A guy like Jordan Hawkins could really make a big difference moving forward because he can shoot. And uh, I think he's very talented, as you can tell. But down the stretch in these next three weeks, Jordan Hawkins is somebody to follow. If he could keep going, that would really help UConn's uh, chances as they keep getting deeper into the season. Yeah, and this was a huge win for them as well. They have a nightmare schedule yeah, yeah. over the course of the next five games. So I want to ask both of you guys this. When you are kind of when you hit that spell in, in sometime in mid January or early February, where you've played a couple of games that were duds, or maybe some of your players are tuning you out a little bit. Maybe they're getting homesick. Maybe it's the end of the season. It's just kind of becoming a dread. Like these are the dog days of the college basketball season. Now what, how hard is that to get guys going in moments like this? I thought, honestly, I thought what happened against Creighton and what happened against Villanova for UConn is they, they didn't, their team built on, playing with effort and it felt like they were just kind of I don't want to say they slept walk through those games but it wasn't it wasn't what it was tonight so how how difficult and how do you what do you do to kind of get those guys going in games like that you know I, I would answer the question like this you know it's like being a guest speaker you know it, how well it goes is dependent on on your audience you know you, you know you, you you can't give the same speech to everybody you know it all depends on on how many people are in the room, you know, where are they from, how old are they, how young are they, et cetera. And like every team's different, Rob, like you cannot treat every single team the same. If I have Mick Cronin's team right now, final four a year ago, have gone through just all kinds of almost torturous things with COVID, you know, had returned to no fans, you know, huge shutdown in and around Christmas. And then they came to Arizona, kind of looking like a final four team and they lose back-to-back -back games. And now they're at Stanford in a dog fight. Like, guess what? Their next game, I believe, is at USC. You know, in some ways, you have to be careful. Like, these are veteran players. Are they healthy? Are they rested? Because if they're healthy and rested, 
they know what it takes to win big games. They've already won them for you. Conversely, I think if you have a young team sometimes that has never experienced it, you have to be maybe more aware of, of how they're showing up in their attention to detail every day. So that's how I would, I would answer the question. I mean, Arch, I don't know if you feel any differently, but February certainly is that month where you, you, you're getting close to the finish line. You've been at it for a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think this, and um, not all teams, but every team, Sometimes at this time of year, coaches can really get consumed and want to do more and, and, and think about, you know, keep getting better and preparing your team. So much at this time of year, though, Rob, is fresh. You know, it's fresh legs. More importantly, it's a fresh mind. Keeping things short at this time of the year. You're in a routine of games. It's physical right now. And I think that the, the, the teams that kind of find a way to shorten some things up, that freshen up their guys, to keep them wanting to come back to the gym, you know, late at night, rather than I got to get out of the facility as soon as possible. Cause I don't want to be here anymore. You know, there's a, there's a fine line to it, but this time of year in the next few weeks, certain teams really have it down in terms of fresh is better than anything that you can get going. And I don't think that means you don't work hard, but I definitely think it's, it's overkill at times at this time of year. Also yeah, Rob, team? for the first time, for the first time, you'll run into certain teams that they've lost hope. Yeah. So in those particular games, if your team is good, you can't panic early if things don't go well, because if you just stick with it, stick with it, stick with it, eventually they're going to break because in a sense, no matter how they try to trick each other, they're playing for nothing. I mean, they're playing for the end of the season and that doesn't show up until you get to mid February, but you see it now in mid February where you play a certain team and you just know they've got, they've acquired too many losses, almost like that, that ship in the water, right? There's too many holes in the bottom. It's just, they, they just can't beat you for 40 minutes. And I think that's the other thing you try to navigate as a coach as well. Yeah. Arch, doesn't it sound a little bit like Sean is referencing a team that, uh, that went down 14 to one yesterday uh, at Arizona state and then came back to, to win. It sounds like that, that, is that what Sean's referencing? A little bit. Yeah, hey, a little, little bit. A what, little what, bit. A, what a swing! What a swing, though, oh, in that game. I mean, the way it started and at the end, I think they were up nineteen, really, really, really late. I mean, think about that. That's like a almost what a 20, 36 point swing there. Yeah, it took a while for Arizona to get used to playing in the gym that didn't have any power and didn't have any. Uh, no, no, that you have to credit Arizona State that they did have the lights on. I'm sure the water worked, and and that was a good step for them for sure. That's a big step. All right. I do want to ask you guys about North Carolina really quick. Cause I, we, we watched that game a little bit earlier. Uh, yeah. Tar Heels coming off of getting embarrassed. Uh, I think is, is probably the best way to phrase it um, at home by Duke. The last time that coach K was going to be in that building and they came out and they gutted out a tough win on the road against what is probably going to end up being a quad one opponent. So Arch, I'll go to you first on this one. Uh, what, what does it say to you about North Carolina? Caleb love didn't play his best made the two biggest plays of the game down the stretch. What do you think of him? Well, I, I tell you what, North Carolina got one of the probably the, the best feeling wins that they've had all season. I mean, to come off the taste in your mouth after Saturday in the Dean Dome and to know you're going to play a good Clemson team on the road and you haven't had success on the road in a while, maybe all season. They got down a little bit early and then all of a sudden they found a way to grind that first half and then it became that game on the road that 
the good team finds a way to make a couple plays and win, and they did it. And uh, Caleb Love hurt North Carolina with his floor game, not scoring and all that, his floor game. You know, the turnovers at times really have hurt him. But I thought the last two possessions in a minute and a half to go in the game, he steps up and makes a huge three. And then he has the game-winning dish to Manic uh, to, to win it. But North Carolina has to feel great about being able to get that win. Nothing harder to do than get up off the ground for the third or fourth time after an embarrassing loss, especially when they have a lot at stake. But Armando Baycott makes Carolina great. When he's doing what he's supposed to do, they're good. He had 24 and 10 tonight. They got a lot of contributions, but that was a big win for them as they keep moving forward um, just because of the way their season has sort of unfolded. And they have to feel really good about their team finding a way to get that one because that wasn't an easy game by any stretch for them. And, you know, Rob, sort of to your point about UConn and, you know, I was at Arizona when historically you've been in the promised land of final fours and you've won a national championship. It's, it's kind of your mind frame of when you watch a team in powder blue that represents Carolina, that that's what they're supposed to be this year, North Carolina is supposed to be a tournament team. You know, they, they may make the tournament in advance and guess what for the team that they currently have, that may end up being where they're at now, where they go from there. That's a story for another day, but when you watch them play, they're not the Carolina team that's headed to New Orleans in the Final Four. They're a team that's fighting like crazy to make the tournament. And I think if you adjust your thinking, you learn to appreciate moments like tonight. Like that was a big, meaningful road win that could help them get in the tournament. They're fighting to make the tournament. And Brady, they, they had to, they had to get yeah. this win. They, yeah. they this don't was, have no no doubt about it. This was a make or break game for them tonight. Yeah. And it's Brady Manic, right, Brady? Yeah. And it here's the thing. Is he a younger, smaller, quicker Bill Walton? <laughs> I mean, have you ever seen a player look more like Bill Walton than Brady Manic? I, I can't wait to, to get Bill Walton. I'm gonna I'm gonna find that picture. If you line them up and you show Bill Walton with the Portland Trailblazers and you put Brady Manic next to him. You cannot tell me they're not spitting images of each other. <laughs> their, their games are a little bit different, but I will say this. So North Carolina 0-7 in quad one right now. Uh, their best win is probably at Clemson. Um, that is a uh, – if Clemson can sneak into the top 75 in the net, they're 78th right now. They can sneak into the top 75. That will be North Carolina's only quad one win. They don't have a win against a top 50. Well, they do now because Virginia Tech is now 43rd in the net. But that's their best, uh, their their highest ranked win. They don't have a win over a top 40 team. So you guys look at all this NCAA draft or NCAA tournament, uh, all this bubble stuff as much as anybody. What do you think they have to do to be able to get in? Do they have to beat Duke on that last day of the regular season at Duke? It will, it will help them. They don't have to, to just beat Duke. Um, I will tell you that they have four home games remaining. They can't lose a home game down the stretch. That would get them to 13 conference wins. And then of their remaining road games, Virginia Tech, NC State, and Duke, they got to probably get at least one, but to feel good too. Um, but down the stretch of their next seven, they have to get about five of them. To, to, to go into the ACC tournament and be able to get in. They have to put people in the tournament. I think that's what a lot of people forget. 
And if North Carolina it's called has, the field of 68 for a reason. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if North Carolina has 14, 15 conference wins and they have 20 plus regular season wins, it'll be hard to keep them out of the tournament. But Carolina can't afford to go 500 in the next six. They can't afford to go, you know, alternate home and road games. They're going to have to go above the above the board in the next seven and probably get four. And that would be scary, but five out of the next seven for those guys to be heading to the tournament feeling okay. But Arch, I think we, we spoke, we spoke for two months about college basketball, about the importance of non-conference scheduling, Yeah, who you play, who you beat before you ever get to the conference. Yeah. North Carolina's biggest problem is that they never really were able to secure that quality in their non-conference schedule. Right. And guess what? They're now playing in the historic weak ACC. Yeah. I mean, People love to pile on the Pac-12, and maybe some of it's deserved. But, Rob, the Pac-12 is better than the ACC. It's not as good as the WCC, though. Maybe not, but I'm telling you right now, when you consider the – because the one thing that I think hurts the ACC, there's, what, 16 teams. If if five or six of those teams are really bad, that hurts you. But what happened to them this year is they not only have that going for them or against them – they have terrible five or six, but the middle is like whatever. Ha- like we're talking about Louisville, who's usually what? Already in the tournament by now. North Carolina, already in the tournament by now. You just keep going down. It's almost to a program other than Duke, Virginia, other than that win last night. They're not as good as they've been. Well, I mean, that's I think the one thing. of the things Everybody... that hurts North Carolina, they don't, they don't have the quality opportunities remaining. Nope. Everybody decided to have their down year in the ACC at the same year. It was Syracuse and Florida state and Louisville and even North Carolina and Virginia. Everybody just happened to have a down year in the same year. And it just ended up being one of those things where everyone was bad, but listen, uh, we got to take a quick commercial break here. We got to pay the bills coming up next. I'm going to ask these two gentlemen who have coached in the elite eight, what it takes to win games in March. Clear for 90. You know, you know, looking at the ACC, you know, Duke's, Duke's obviously playing for a seed. And they're, you would say that Notre Dame and Wake are trying to play their way in if they're not in right now. But between Miami and North Carolina, the league's probably going to get four teams. Really? You know? I think they'll get four. I mean, our, they're, they're going to get four. Our bracketology show has, has four ACC teams in right now i mean virginia's 15 and nine and they're nine and five in the conference with six remaining games miami's eight and four one minute carolina's nine and four wakes nine and four and notre dame's nine and three yeah hurts notre dame has them. a win over kentucky miami has a win at duke yeah. and Virginia I love, has a win at duke yeah. hey i love steve forbes I, I don't think anyone's done a better job than him but they played the 300 and and look it up 89th is that even did I just non-conference is 347 yeah. in Ken Palm. Yeah, I like was going to say 389. Yeah, there's 358 teams. <laughs> okay, 350. I think they're close to 350. 30 seconds. I think they're close to 350. And, and Rob, here's the thing that I was always told. The non-conference represents your intentions. His intentions seconds. were to build Wake Forest, which I don't blame them. They just happen to be better than probably initially thought, but they'd bring nothing to the table before you get to the 10 seconds. Yep. Yep. You're definitely right. Unfortunately for them because they've had a great season. Five. Two. One. 
We are back. It is the Field of 68 After Dark. We're live right now on Sirius XM Channel 84. That is the ESPNU station. We're streaming over on YouTube. Please jump in the chat. We're going to ask some questions to these guys when we get to the After Dark Afters here in about eight minutes. Uh, my name is Rob Dosser. I'm here with Archie Miller, who has the greatest career defensive free throw shooting <laughs> percentage in the history of any coach in Division One basketball, and Sean Miller. Uh, both of these gentlemen have coached in the Elite Eight. So I'm going to know from both of you guys, what do you think it takes for a team to be able to make a run in March, to be able to make a run in these kind of tournament settings? Is it great point guard play, great offense, great defense? Sean, what is it? Well, I think you have to have a style of play that is able to go against the various styles that the NCAA tournament brings. It's the one thing that you can't control. You know, nobody can can have a crystal ball to tell you that you're going to play such and such team in game one if you advance this type of team. Syracuse is a great example that, you know, there are teams that bow out early in the NCAA tournament because Syracuse's 2-3 zone and their just unique style is something they haven't seen all year long. And it's that style of play factor, I think, sometimes can really be uh, – be overlooked. You have to have a group, a style of play yourself that can adapt to the various styles. Same thing with tempo. If I'm playing Villanova, who's an excellent team, or I'm playing Gonzaga, Rob, think about the difference. You have the nation's fastest team. You have one of the nation's slowest teams, but they're both very, very good. So are your players, your staff, your team, are they hardened? Do they understand the ability to be able to go from a Thursday game to a Saturday game, and then another week, a Thursday to a Saturday, quick turnaround on the second game and play against so many diverse styles that college basketball brings. Yeah. You know, I, I think if my experience in the NCAA tournament is it, it's so difficult to, to play fast and score. The game isn't easy in the tournament, you know, and as you advance, it even gets harder. Uh, and to me, you know, when you when you advance, you don't beat yourself, which means two things. You can't give up second shots and you definitely can't turn the ball over in the NCAA tournament. Those two things. And I think it comes back to what you say. You got to have some guards that can really play um, and control your team against different tempos and different defenses and whatnot that don't give it away to the other team because you don't want to give up a run in the NCAA tournament. You know, an 8-0 run, a 10-0 run, that could be the whole game. You know, when we were in Elite Eight, we, we, we were hanging in there with Florida. And the next thing you know, one turnover led to a 14-0 run at the end of the first half. And the game changed completely from one possession to a 14-point deficit. And I think the teams you play are so good in capitalizing off mistakes that you can't give them second shots because it's going to bury your team with fouls. And you can't give up runs, which means no crazy turnovers in, in the deal. So I think you have to have a team that doesn't, understands that the value of, of the possessions, you know, more so than anything, there's really, there's no coming back from a bad run in a, in a big game if you're trying to advance. Yeah, there's nothing more backbreaking than scoring a couple of baskets in a row, trimming an eight-point lead to a two-point lead, getting the ball back off a defensive rebound, and then throwing a sloppy bounce pass and having one of those pick-six layups. Right? Like it, those, cha those it changes the, the – it really yeah. changes the momentum – of, of the game and each possession in the tournament, especially as you move on, I mean, you're on pins and needles. Each possession means a ton. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I've once thought a deep team, you know, a deep team is something that 
you know, you really needed, but I've come back on that. I think like a team like Kentucky, that's rolls, it's rotations, like seven, eight guys, they play every minute of the game. Those teams that are very comfortable playing with one another, to me, those are the harder teams to, to play against that have great confidence and, and freedom of how they play a shorter rotation, like a Syracuse who plays seven guys and they kind of do their thing. They're hard to play against. That, that's actually interesting because I think the, the value and depth is basically insurance, right? Like if you get someone that sprains an ankle in the first, basically, half, yeah, be able to survive. So how, how do you, how do you kind of balance that? I mean, I think the sweet spot is kind of like that seven, eight guy rotation, but it's, it's Perfect. risky. You don't want someone foul trouble. You don't want someone going down with an injury. Um, is there, is there a balance you, there? Is I think guys? you want your depth, but I would say that like the teams that have that rotation of seven, eight guys is perfect because as Sean will tell you in a tournament, the timeouts are like eight minutes long. You don't get tired in the NCAA tournament. I mean, when you have a media timeout in the NCAA tournament, it feels like you're over there for a halftime. Every four minute break is like, you're not, you don't need the depth in the tournament other than what you said to avoid a disaster, which would be an injury or foul trouble. But I think like a seven, eight man rotation, what a Kentucky has, what Syracuse usually has going, it'd be interesting. Like when you play against Auburn, they play a lot of guys. And sometimes to me, that can be overrated with your chemistry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the other part, Rob, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of a boring answer, but experience, you know, it's just thing about the NCAA tournament, like, for example, I've, when I was at Xavier, we had a great team. Our season ended in the Elite Eight. We lost to UCLA with Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook. And I don't know if you remember this, but Arkansas and Georgia played this bizarre game. And there was a tornado at the SEC uh, tournament. Do you remember this? Yeah. And yeah. Georgia like, came out of nowhere and ended up winning the SEC tournament. They had to play After two games in the two same games day. in one day. Right. But it, yeah. they weren't, you know, during the regular season, I don't even know if they were set to make the tournament. But when we showed up, they were it, a true here's, SEC here's the crazy, team. Here's the crazy thing about that, Sean. They won the SEC tournament and finished as a 14 seed. Right. So that was, think about how I felt. We felt we're the three seed. You know how hard it is in the Atlantic <laughs> 10 to get a three seed? And your reward is you're going to play Georgia. It's like, oh, my God. And the game was at noon. And it was in D.C. And, and it was on it was the it was the Thursday, Saturday, not the Friday, Sunday. So in essence, we played in front of almost no people. It was a 12 noon game. I mean, we were the first and opening game in the tournament. And, you know, you're down 10 at half. It's like, oh, my God, can you believe that this magical season is going to end? You know what? Your team has a way of tightening up and doing things that they don't do. But something that would have helped that team is we had been there before, you know, the previous year, the previous year. We've experienced wins and losses, and it was a veteran group. Even myself, it was the third consecutive, fourth consecutive year you're in the tournament. So that that, that moment doesn't spook you nearly as much, and your guys can – can play through it and not beat themselves because at the end, you don't want to be the team who goes home after all of this. And you lost in the NCAA tournament because you beat yourself. A great example yep. would be if UConn yep. loses this year in the NCAA tournament and they get 10% on the offensive glass. Yeah. Right. Well, they listen, don't Sean, Sean, we'll yep. continue that in one second. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in. This has been the field of 68 after dark. And we're clear. Go ahead. Sorry. Finish your thoughts, Sean. 
but you know, you, you don't want to leave that tournament and do something you characteristically have done well from start to finish. And you didn't do what you do at the biggest moment. You know, all of us, I think if, if UConn rebounds, plays a great energy and does the things that's made them a good team and then they lose, you know, it's, it's easier to accept and you move on. There's always that, that team that's better. Yep. All right. So these are the field of 68 after dark afters. If you guys will tolerate for me for one second, I do have to do a couple of reads here really quick. Let me tell you guys about our partners over at NordVPN. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing is. And that's what NordVPN is here for to give you peace of mind where you are online. And with all the threats that you face today on the internet, it is more important than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN that you can get. Uh, NordVPN for all the computers and all your devices, no matter the operating system, it all works. With its unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection and plans start at under $4 a month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, or use the code believe uh, at um, nordvpn.com to get your plan plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. And also, Arch, let me ask you a question. Do you want to make some money? Absolutely. How about you invest it in an exciting asset that's outpaced the S&P 500 by more than 160% for the last 20 years? I'm talking about art. Uh, Masterworks is the new investing app that lets you invest in blue-chip paintings from icons like Picasso, Monet, and Andy Warhol without needing millions of dollars to do it. Over Can't wait to 000- contact my financial advisor. <laughs> yeah, over 300,000 people have already signed up. Uh, so get priority access with our unique promo code. Log on to masterworks.art slash believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. That's masterworks.art slash believe, B-L-E-A-V, to see important disclosures at masterworks.io backslash disclosures. All right, guys, we are the after. Sorry for doing that. Uh, what do we got coming up next? Dagan, we got some questions. Is he still here? I'm still here. Still I'm, ha- still here. I'm still we- here. I'm still here. Of course you have questions. Uh, quick one from Chris Wilson. Sean, do you think Kentucky can win the national championship if they stay healthy? Yes, they have as good of a chance as any team in the country. As good of a chance. They, they're fun to watch. Uh, they're, they're playing excellent. They've improved. If you think about who their team was the opening night of college basketball against Duke, think about that, how they looked that night against Duke. Now you watch them. I mean, they have really improved and, you know, Arch has been talking about it almost as far back as November, you know, Oscar, he really should be up for national player of the year based on his historic rebounding numbers. They have, great pieces to the puzzle and they have that two point guard look that I think has been proven that uh, goes deep in the NCAA tournament. You agree, Arch? I agree. I mean, I think that Cal and his staff have improved this team as much as any team that he's probably coached coach of the year, national, national coach of the year. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of guys talking about, you know, different this, different that. No one's done a better job coaching their team than that staff. And I would say this about Kentucky. Um, they control the game. They're very hard to play against. If you watch them recently, even like tonight, when Arkansas jumped all over Auburn, that doesn't happen to Kentucky. They go to Auburn, they control the first half. There's some injuries. They go to LSU, they control the first half. 
they're very rarely sped up. They have great point guard play. They have two guys that really handle the ball in Ty Ty and in Wheeler. Um, and, and to me, they, they dominate the pace of the game because of what Oscar does. You have a hard time getting a rebound on both ends of the floor. It's hard to run. They can run. And they can play different styles, like Sean said. They can win at 56-50, or they can win at 96 to 48. I mean, they exactly. can do it both. And uh, they're about as to me, they 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 they're getting great production, also, Rob, because they're not playing a ton of guys and guys are getting better. Keon Brooks and Jacob Toppin got 25 points tonight between them. You know, those guys didn't score a basket against Duke, you know, in the first game of the year. So, Rob, I mean, if, I think you, if you really if you good. would ask me what what if, Sean, what have you learned or what do you see differently this year you know I coached 17 years as a head coach this now I'm not coaching what what is it I would say that there's a real value in having the right got to have it right but if you have the right seven or eight players it's just they improve there's a team chemistry that comes on and if you didn't make that top eight you know we're going to work to develop you but you just keep watching this. Coach K has done it forever, his entire career. He's not a guy that runs eight, nine, ten guys in the game. You start getting into late February, early March, most of the time it's like six, seven, sometimes an eighth player. And uh, I think Arch's point on Kentucky is spot on. But look, sometimes the coach of the year, when, when you talk about it, it's like a sentimental pick. There's something else there besides how well they're doing. Kentucky won nine games last year. If you looked at their roster in the mid, mid April, who was there and think about who he brought in and how well they're playing and how far they can go. I mean, I think you have to give him a lot of credit and yeah, he I, did it a different way. Yeah, I, I would, I would, he's absolutely in the conversation for me. Um, I think Bruce Pearl's in the conversation. I think Tommy Lloyd's in the conversation. I think Ed Cooley's in the conversation. I think Mark Adams is in the conversation. To me, yeah. there's, there, there's, there's like 10 guys that you can, you can kind of throw in there. They've done a great job with their group. I honestly, I probably would give it to Ed Cooley at this point, just because, mm -hmm. look, if you're going to be 20 and two as the 41st, ranked team in Ken Palm that is a very difficult thing to do no seriously like it's it's really hard to do that because you have to be playing better or, or performing better with better outcomes than what your team actually is based off of the numbers and off of the metrics and and so I think a lot of that has to do with coaching it has to do with the the experience and the age on that team but I don't think it's like that's not a fluke to me that, mm -hmm. that that's happening with that group no, no. he he he's getting the most out of his team as any, as any coach, right? When you look at the bottom line of this is your record, this is who you've beaten. And then, you know, like we talked about the metrics, the experience, the talent, I think Providence has maximized their team, perhaps the best in the country. Yep. All right, Dagan, we got anything else? Yes. Anything we, else coming in? We, we do. Um, I see a question here that, or another question, a statement that says Michigan state is very overrated this year. Are they the most overrated team in the country? I'll I'll I'll, I'll jump on that grenade. I I, th I think that they probably are, um, and the reason I say that is again, it's kind of similar to the conversation with with Ed Cooley and Providence. I just think that the job that Tom Izzo has done getting more wins than what the talent on that roster would make you think that they're able to get is is really impressive. So my my take is this: so if you're if you're coaching against, you guys have both coached forever. Uh, 
who are you, who's the first person that you're worried about? Like what, what's, what's the one thing that you're circling on that scouting report and saying, Oh man, I don't know how we're going to be able to deal with this. I don't know how we're going to be able to stop this. In terms of Michigan state. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's more comprehensive. I think you, you're going to say Michigan state can offensive rebound if we want to win and we can't let them in transition. And if we do one of those two things, well, we're going to be fine. But if we keep them in the half court with the way that their offense is sort of running right now in the half court with very little playmakers and guys who can get their own, they have to generate almost all their offense through either their sets or their actions or what they're doing. They don't have any true, just go get it, get it done. Um, you're going to have a good chance of getting them. And um, even tonight in the game tonight, I think they had two guys in double figures and uh, they shot maybe three for 15 or something from three, whatever it is. Uh, Michigan State's not a prolific offensive team. And like you said, if you circle the scouting report, is there one guy that you just can have a hard time stopping? I don't necessarily think that's the case with them. When Michigan State's good, they're really defending and they're really rebounding and they're controlling the game that way, getting their best players some shots. And, uh, I won't be surprised if Michigan State advances in the tournament because I think that's what coaches those teams do. They're built for that. But right now they're sort of hitting a, a fork in the road of what direction this season's going to go here um, with back-to-back -back losses, tough one at home tonight. And uh, down the back stretch, they're going to be playing in that seven through 10 seed where they're going to bump out of that and get into that six, five, or four, depending on how they finish. And they don't want to be in that seven through 10 seed nobody does nobody does you're actually uh, better being an 11 seed than you are seven through 10 as crazy as yeah. it sounds uh, i'll yeah. tell you this the worst game you can draw in the ncaa tournament is if you get the sixth seed and you play in the winner of the first four yeah that's me yeah, I did that. I mean, if you can I was the team this. who won the first four and then beat Providence <laughs> in the next yeah. game. That's, That's a right, hard game. Yep. And and you know, because think about Rob, you get one under your belt. Like million you know, bucks. the feeling is you've conquered the world. You've gotten that first game jitters out of the way. You're comfortable, you're confident, you really got house money. You know, now you're in the tournament and you you enter that second game. Well, the team you're getting ready to play. Like, they didn't even know who was going to win that game. Like, you can't scout it. We played Van the winner of Vanderbilt, Wichita State, and we were a six seed at, at Arizona. By the way, we played in the dunk in Providence. We flew, like, 5,000 miles uh, to get there. And we, I remember flying across the country at that point, not really knowing who we were going to play. You land and say, hey, Wichita State beat them. Fred Van Vliet and Ron Baker. <laughs> and, and they're like, and by the way, that's a hard, they shouldn't have been an 11 seed, but like those, that's a hard team yeah. to seed, by the way. Like, for example, last year, UCLA, they were in that game. And guess who plays them in the first game? Michigan State. So Michigan State, you know, you play UCLA, like that's your reward for getting a six seed. That's a, that is a tough, tough draw. Rob, we were in the, think about this. Do you remember, on the championship of the AAC in 2015 when UConn was playing in the championship game. Mm -hmm. And if they had won it, they would have as a conference champion, not an at-large bid. Remember the game? I yeah. think they played like Cincinnati probably. 
Anyway, uh, they had like was, a, Mem- was it Memphis? May have been Memphis. They I had think, like I a full court shot or like an overtime crazy game. But if they would have won the game, the, yeah, in the quarterfinals that year, Jalen Adams hit an right. It was a crazy run, like a but third overtime to, you, to send it to fourth overtime. UConn didn't make the tournament that year, so they were going to no. bump somebody. And we were sitting. We just lost the A10 championship to VCU. We'd won about twenty six games. We were waiting for about an eight or a nine game, and uh, we were the last team in the NCAA tournament. If UConn wins that game, we were knocked out. We didn't even know it. And uh, we were pissed. And then they made us play a home game at UD Arena and we draw Boise State. In How the, would you like to be in, in the NCAA tournament? Game. And you play you play Arch yeah. as the Dayton Flyer. We didn't lose it. We hadn't lost the game in UD Arena in a year and a half. And we played in front of 14 of the loudest they didn't sit down for two and a half hours. We beat Boise State, who had a really good team that year. But when we won that game, we got on a bus and drove 50 miles to Columbus to play Providence. And they didn't know who they were playing until two in the morning. Right. The day before. It's hard. I'm going to tell you this. I don't bet on the NCAA tournament, so let me get on that on the absolute record. But I'm going to say this, Rob. <laughs> I, if I, I do. If, if I bet I, on the tournament. <laughs> if I were placing a bet on the NCAA tournament, I would use that rivers, right? Incredibly hard on that, on that, on that game right there. The sixth seed versus the winner of that first four in Dayton and look real heavy towards that first four winner. I know this because the NCAA selection committee automatically puts a pac 12 team in the first four. It's (laughs) a guarantee. Who's going there this year? USC, UCLA multiple times, Arizona State. I don't know if there's ever been a first four without a Pac-12 team in it. And like USC won the game. And I started laughing saying when this sixth seed plays them, they're in trouble because they're good. And they just, you know, you get that you that that feeling of we just won an NCAA tournament. A real game. game. A real and, uh, NCAA and tournament win. For sure. Yep. Uh, just to update some people that are still hanging around, it was it was a disastrous night in the WCC. Uh, San Francisco lost at home to Portland. To Portland. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, St. Mary's is down by ten right now against Santa Clara on the road. Don't uh, sleep on Santa Clara. Loss. They're okay. good. No, they're healthy. Yeah. They're good, but with with BYU falling off of a cliff, uh, that that dream of a four bid WCC is starting to look like it might be Gonzaga and uh, and and everybody else. All right, listen. Uh, it's about 12:15 now. I think it's time for us to try to get out of here. So I'm going to tee you guys up. Give me your give me your toast of the night, Arch. I'm going to you first. I'll toast Arkansas. I, I thought that in college basketball, there's very few fan bases that are that good. Bud Walton Arena, I've been there myself, is as good as there is in college basketball. And tonight they were on full display against the number one team in the country, and they got the job done. And uh, right now Arkansas is really trending in the right direction but that's a heck of a win on a great stage. And uh, to me, they're, they're a team that if they stay with it, they're, they're not only going to the tournament, but they have a chance to, to maybe do some damage in the tournament as well with that team. But just a great night for Arkansas and Bud Walton the night. He must always finds a way to get that thing turned around at the right time. They always lose like five games at the end of December and early January. Then all of a sudden, boom, they flip a switch. And as soon as Goodman starts counting them out, it's a, they, they make that run and they figure it out. Sean, who do you have? You know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to toast to uh, Matt Painter and Purdue, you know, it was a marquee game in the big 10 home game. You want to, you want to dominate at home. If you're going to win the big 10 regular season championship, 
you're not going to drop too many, if any at all at home. Uh, and they put it on Illinois. They were clearly the superior team. You could tell that everybody was ready from their crowd to the coaches, to the, their best players. And like we talked about Purdue's offense is so powerful. And uh, I thought it, thought tonight they, they did both. Not only did they have their powerful offense going for them, but they played good defense. And I think they're going to be a team that's going to go really far this March. Yeah. So for the record, you guys both got your toasts wrong. Okay. Because without their head coach who was ejected in the first half, Wyoming came from behind to beat Utah state at home in overtime on a we game. We just saluted him from- this so week. Here it is. You did. I actually, I actually was thinking about it. That says what you, can you see it? Yellowstone, yeah, right? Right. The pride oh of the God, state right of there. Wyoming, the pride of the state of Wyoming. Cheers. <laughs> he does a heck of a job. And, and I'd love to see, can we get the name of the official that threw him out in the first half? Uh, we, we that's something. That if the coach gets thrown out in the first half, the official has to be held responsible in a good or bad way. Like, but he has to be outed. You can't get away with that. Here's unless, the crew: Vern goes. Harris, Michael Irving, and Larry Spalding. No comment then. <laughs> <laughs> For obvious reasons, Goodman knows. No comment. All right. Well, listen, this has been fun. Uh, So for Archie Miller, uh, for Sean Miller, for our producer, Dagan Hughes, my name is Rob Dawson. This has been the Field of 68 After Dark.